0: You want to take photos at the National Gallery? Go right ahead. You want a less user-friendly Doctor Who? Well, we've got that for you too. And why not a Babylon 5 remake? Alex Tone and Bryn are here for the airwaves. Here, So that means it's time to start the Airwaves, the podcast that tackles the sticky subject of the week's TV, movie, gaming and media news. <clears throat> With me this week to make sure everything is covered in as much detail as possible, a newcomer to the show, Mr. Bryn Salisbury. How are you doing, sir? Hello, how are you? I'm um, not too bad.
1: I'm excellent. I, I, myself, am jet lagged and on my way to getting drunk.
0: Yeah, excellent. So, well, that's, always, that's always a good thing to, It's uh, always a good way to start a show. You've uh, you've you've been away. You've been to the you've been to the colonies.
1: I have um, went to uh, try to reclaim Boston. Unfortunately, uh, went got there and found they all they'd I so, for some bizarre reason thrown all the tea in the harbour. So I retreated to uh, the safety and sanity of Canada, and um, it turns out that uh, everyone is actually as polite as you think except except when they're driving or watching or playing ice hockey it's
0: strange isn't it either the um either a country's sport or driving tends to bring out the worst in people doesn't it Mm. Mm. very very strange Mm -hmm. next up tony blunt how are things with you tone
2: not bad not bad i'm i've only just woken up i'll be honest but yeah you're ready ready
0: to go you're ready to go um you're ready for work really aren't you yeah
2: yeah and I, I can't give you a weather report, but I'm reliably informed it's quite bright and lo- lovely outside.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you, it was absolutely throwing it down but we w- earlier, but we will hand it over next to our weather correspondent. Next up, Alex G. Fox, how are you doing, sir?
3: Well, it's warm and sultry. And the weather's not bad as well. No, it's, um, yeah, it's been a very strange day. We, it's been really warm. And then you get 10 minutes of torrential downpour, like you're in the tropics. And then the sun's come out again and it's dry by the time you sort of turn around again. It's very, very strange. You know, you just said about, um, brings out the worst of people, um, driving and sports. Well, I just thought that's tone, isn't it? The very worst out of tone is the, oh, to talk about oh, the sports dear. to do with driving.
0: <laughs> At this point, yes. <laughs> oh, it
3: quite but you talk about everyone, he turns into this yeah. monster.
0: yeah. Poor old, poor old Tone. He's, he's being, being picked on so early in the show. Well, never mind. No, no makes a change. Indeed. <laughs>
3: <laughs> At least five minutes.
0: Excellent. Right. We are going to start this week with the interesting bits. Now, this is a particularly interesting bit because this is a story from uh, arthistorynews.com. And uh, apparently, photography to be allowed at the National Gallery um, was, a, was a story from our, artnewshistory.com, but the, the actual update from the National Gallery um, says, the introduction of free Wi-Fi throughout the public areas of the National Gallery is one of a number of steps we are taking to improve the welcome we provide. Wi-Fi enables our visitors to access additional information about the collection and our exhibitions whilst actually here in the gallery, and also to interact with us more via social Social media now. Generally, you go to an art, you go to an art gallery, any, any, anywhere. You you pull out, you pull out your phone, or you pull out a camera, and and you you're mobbed by several members of security who don't want you to take a picture of the paintings because I don't know they're gonna they'll lose their soul or something, or perhaps you might copyright them. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. I think in a lot of cases, I think people get a little. Um, Rude. I think. I think. One thing they worry about is it sort of impacts the atmosphere and sort of uh, detracts from going there to look at the picture, the paintings, and all. Add all the artwork there. There's some people are there, to sort of sit there quietly and look at these things, while other people want to go there to say, "Oh, I, I've seen um, famous painting X, or I've seen sculpture by person Y." They, uh, so I think they, they've always been worried that by letting people take pictures and sort of surf the internet, yeah, yeah, take selfies with Mona Lisa kind of a thing. It it kind of detracts from what that painting means in terms of art history. But it, but the thing is as well as I think as one of the articles points out, it's um, he feels it, it takes away from. So the gravitas and of of those pictures, but he's not really in a. He's not really want to sort of tell people how they should appreciate art, um, you know, and and frankly, I, I kind of like this because I think it's it's one of those ways where you actually do get because uh, you kind of feel you don't really. I certainly when I've been there, I feel like a bit of an idiot going up to a, a person who sat there going, "Oh, can you tell me a bit more about this?" And they go, "Well, you know, it's a it's a Van Gogh or it's." uh, it's Holbein's ambassadors, how how do you not know about these things kind of a thing, whereas if I could go if I could take a picture of it and then do Google image search and then go oh right that and pull up all kinds of really interesting bits and pieces about it I, I could actually pull that information myself and I feel sort of less embarrassed about about asking questions so that I can sort of then go to my friends and say oh look this this thing's really cool have you spotted this little bit here which is the, uh, the skulls in the background and, and sort of the, the symbolism of that sort of thing and it means kind of thing you know it's it's kind of nice to be able to do that sort of thing without having somebody sort of mob well, had did go. Oi, what are you doing? Grab you and chuck you out a look, chuck you out.
0: I haven't been to many galleries, but uh, i i can I can imagine that someone looking at a picture and then holding up their camera like that to take a take a picture of it or taking mm. a selfie with it would probably get on your nerves. So it made a track well, from the overall milieu.
1: Well, yeah, but it's it's one of those things. Like they, they'll they're the sort of people who will generally move on fairly quickly from it, and the people who want mm. to sit there and appreciate it will continue to sit there and appreciate mm. it. And it's rather than sort of by completely banning it, it's it's stopped a the sort of behaviour from developing naturally. So what you get is people will start doing something, then they'll then they'll get to the realization that what they're doing is quite rude, and then a newly sort of established form of behaviour will. Will develop to say you know so doing that is rude. Um, you know, standing there very brashly and loudly taking your selfie would be considered rude. Then yeah. over time, then people will actually learn oh this, that's not the sort of thing to do and, and and do something else instead. So by just completely banning it, people are just doing it covertly or or not doing it at all, yeah. which means that they're going well that's not the sort of place I want to go to. And then art galleries don't get funded and we lose. Very, very important national uh, uh, cultural treasures to private private galleries and collections, and nobody gets to see no, nobody gets to see them.
0: Mm. Alex, you're a um, you're a uh, an enjoyer of the art world. You're a you're well, you, you are a um, you're a man of the art world. Let's say that's what I do. That's is. me. Mm-hmm. I take pictures in galleries, so nah,
3: I've always been able to do it. But that's because they pay me to come and do it, so it's not the same. Um, to be honest, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you can't beat them, join them. That's what's happened because of major galleries for years. It's been such a, it's a stipulation. So this is, and all they're doing is spending all their time, you know, I don't know, five, even five years ago, camera phones, people had them, but they weren't even worth taking a picture with. And now people will take a picture of in, Instagram Facebook's to blame for everything that's gone wrong with the world, actually. And this is another example of it. The whole world, just, the first thing you do is take a picture. It doesn't matter if it's a good picture or a bad picture, but that's what people do with everything. And as Bryn said quite rightly, if you don't let them do it, people won't go. And I've been in galleries recently, which is quite funny. You watch people, they, they don't look at any of the paintings. They walk around with their phone. They look through the screen of the phone, they take a picture, they can be through the National Gallery in twenty minutes, and maybe they will review. I very much doubt it. <laughs> they have it's a strange mind frame that's going on at the moment, but uh, it happens all the time. And even private galleries, to a certain extent, there's no point in stopping people. And this is where your advertising comes from. This is yeah, where you yeah. get one person from America saying, oh, "I'll go into the take because I saw it on somebody else's Facebook." Mm. And then and they'll spend money in the coffee shop and the, in, and the gift shop. And they'll get some money back. The people that want to go to look at art for art's sake, for the love of art, um, yeah, it might annoy them a bit. But let's face it, financially, they're completely unimportant. Sad, but true. You know, the 10% of people who go to art galleries are, are students of it, apart from, you know, some of them being a bit um, sanctimonious you know, most of them appreciate that this has got to be funded by someone other than them because they can't fund the whole National Gallery themselves. And Mm. it was, it was—you used to be a case of, um, you know, all the arts. I mean, the only one left, I suppose, that people detest the funding ratio is ballet because Mm. you know, or even opera. But more people go to opera and ballet, I suppose. I mean, I've been to opera. I didn't like Mm. it, but I've been a couple of times. But um, the arts, it's... It has moved into the public domain. It was always supposed to be the public domain, but it never was. But yeah, now it's, it's sort of the edi-
1: ed- edification to yeah. the public, isn't it? Sort of raising raising sort of public consciousness and people do go. I mean, my kids. I mean, irrelevant of me.
3: I mean, my youngest. If it's a rainy afternoon, never drags me down there, but always drags my my wife to take Modern because yeah. he just likes. I don't know. It's something about the size of the place and the size of the and the size of the exhibits, and the fact that he doesn't have to think. Tate Modern isn't about thinking, it's about looking at things that are bizarre and making your own mind up. And it's like you don't have to ask anyone a question at Tate Modern because no one, including the artist, knows the answer.
0: <laughs> 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 okay.
1: let's go over the Tate Modern one day, and um, I went as I was looking around, it was a, sort of a rainy, rainy. Uh, Monday morning I was, I was waiting for a train back up back up north and I sort of went around and completely bewildered by the whole thing and I see this enormous uh, 20 foot by 20 foot canvas and just red streaky lines everywhere and I was just looking at it going and I was remembering a sketch where uh, somebody was walking around going and every, every painting would be about the artist's struggle with with life and I just just this was in my head. And I walk up to the thing, and it actually says "struggle" about the artist's struggle with modern life. Are they going? Wait, is this? Is this? Are they taking the piss? Is this what was actually all about? Uh, this, the only struggle there is
3: getting twenty-foot-crossed canvas is really difficult.
1: Yes, yeah, yes, that's the struggle.
2: Yeah, it needs an extender on the. I, I thought
0: perhaps it might be a struggle with the paint can, and, and, and the yes. top finally went, and then, yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and, that, and that's why it was all streaky. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was it was on the ladder at one side, and you know, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, just to the point of do you know the National Gallery? Don't it? it it's it's just about time, and it, it it's like all these things. Eventually, people have to give in. It's like every golf course eventually yeah. is going to have women, and I mean, rightly so. Obviously, it was just an example, but you know, they've all got to give in. They've got to go to the modern world. modern. You've got to basically say, look, if everyone's funding this, it's got to be how everyone wants it and not how a few people that feel that they're born to the right to run national galleries are. And uh, in a way, there should be, you know, like swimming pools. There are certain times where it's only for proper swimmers and Mm. kids that want to splash around. You know, you can have it 90% of the time, but 10% of the time it's for the people that really want to have a serious exercise swim. Well, maybe they should do that with the National Gallery. There should be a... Uh, even if you have to pay extra, I don't know. Or pay, cause you don't pay at all. But even if you have to pay to have a couple of hours a day or a certain time of the week where it's four people that want to sit down and contemplate the works, well, and you won't have people walking in front of you with their iPhone just yeah. taking snapshots. I mean, that's a compromise, and I think that's a fair one. Yeah. And I, I imagine it will, as Bryn says, it will even itself out eventually.
2: I, mean, I would have thought the most annoying thing about having someone—it's not necessarily walking in front of you, but it's if they use a flash and things like that.
1: Well, yeah, but that's going to be
2: that's going to be the worst thing for the whole atmosphere in the place. Yeah. You know, flash going off over here, flash going off over there—it's going to. Was it? Know. They
1: do specify in the announcement uh, that they actually the use of flash and tripods will be prohibited. Yeah. So they're they're making sure they're they're, they're at least specifying that. And, and frankly, I think, I think it's the case if you're running around the National Gallery with a flash, so just taking pictures of, of things, you, you're probably you're probably not going to capture it in its full in its full detail. You
3: know, a, fla- yeah. a flash is
0: uh, annoying, and a tripod yeah.
3: damages
1: the paintings.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, a tripod can trip people over, which means they yeah. go headfirst into the paintings.
1: Yeah. I'd potentially damage the actual because if you the National Gallery is in itself. Frankly, a, a sort of pe- a piece of art as well. So, you're damaging it's some of those. They about that. They care about being sued by the first person that falls over a tripod. True.
0: <laughs> True. Yeah. Right. Let us move on to the box. Peter Capaldi, my doctor, is less user-friendly. Woo! Uh, how does he smell? Can't see a thing. Actor Peter Capaldi has promised that his doctor will be less user-friendly as the BBC unveils his first full-length episode of Doctor Who. I was keen. He'd be a little darker. So will we, mate. He told the BBC's lizo and Ziba, he's struggling with himself and who he is. The 56-year-old, who plays abrasive spin doctor Malcolm Tucker in The Thick of It, is one of the oldest actors to play the TV time trailer. Yet Scott joked that, if anything, he was too young to play the role. <laughs> I don't feel elderly at all, and I don't think the doctor's elderly, apart from the fact that he's two and a half thousand years old. There's a magic about him which is not... About being in your twenties and 30s, continued the actor, whose immediate predecessors David Tennant and Matt Smith were 34 and 27 when they first appeared on the show. Now, uh, Brent, you let out a large, a large yelp yes. when I said I less user friendly. <laughs> yes, I think does that does that translate to less child friendly? Do we think maybe? No, because the doctor, I think the doctor's always been
1: well, essentially a kid's show. Um, you know, it's so sort of then you know, you've so parents kept telling me stories about how they were watching when they were kids and always being scared of the Daleks, but then the doctor would sort of hear you know, Tom Baker flashing a smile to, to a smile, going, Yes, I know what's going on, and I've, I've got to sort it all out. Flashing sort of a thing. rather
0: loud coat as well.
1: Well, exactly, I'd add <laughs> uh, the fetching, uh, fetching scarf as well. Yeah. um, it was Colin Baker, rather loud coat, wasn't he <laughs> Yeah, well, yes, that too, yes. Um, but. I, th- I think they—they've gotten away from that bit and trying to a bit more of a mass appeal. To mm. it was just so, so the old fans of the older series were going, well, you know, these are these are just stories for people with no attention spans. And I kind of, and also you kind of felt that there were no consequences to the previous stories. Everything was reset back to normal at the end of every episode. Or by the end of the series, it had all been completely reset and everything was fine again. So you know, I think um, um, you saw at the beginning of the Christopher Eccleston one. Gallifrey had gone, and you know, the Doctor was coming to terms with what 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 he'd done to try to to try and end the Time War. And you saw sort of really sort of gripping, emotional stuff that Christopher Eccleston was doing. And then also, and then by the time. Matt Smith finished that entire thing had been undone and it turns out the doctor had been very clever all along and saved absolutely everybody and that kind of robbed a lot of the character development that got to that point and and I think if you're going and, and I don't think because I think uh, one of the um one of the trailers said you know i've been uh, sort of, i've done, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life this time I did something about that you know I kind of feel like he's now embracing the fact that. He's done. He's done heroic things, and he's kind of done really horribly terrible things, and he's sort of trying to make amends for it. So you actually feel like, yes, there's some character development. He's actually going yeah. to be learning things, and 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 there are consequences to him interfering, and kind of anything like that. I think is going to make a much richer, much more interesting character. Mm. I think Absolutely. the line.
0: I think the line they should have come up with um is the the writers the writers for my character came up with a, a lot of very very bad ideas and it's mm. time for me to correct them. But, yeah. but tone yeah. you were going to say.
2: Yeah, um I mean you know, he, he talks about making the character less user-friendly. That doesn't mean that the story still can't be, you know, something kids can watch, mm. does it? You know, no. you can because in the original I mean in the originals he was sort of the you know, the original Doctor, he was yeah, the grandpa who was sort of quite short with, you know, the the companions sometimes. You know, and yeah, and uh, he was Patrick always there. He was a bit stern, you know, a lot of the time.
1: Whereas Patrick yeah. Trenton and uh, John Pertwee were all sort of um, being mean and uh, a bit abrasive to the to the yeah. companions and to and to UNIT, and that kind yeah. of made, made them a much more interesting character.
2: Yeah, and I think putting that in the sort of you can still have the you know the some of the silly stories that they have you know the, the throwaway alien of the week type stuff. Mm. You can still have that with the character being a bit darker, which you know mm. I welcome that. Mm.
0: Alex, what do you reckon? You we we were all we were all worried about um, about Doctor Who, weren't we? But does this does it put your mind at ease? Well, it
3: depends how you look at Doctor Who. Um, if you look at it from how, how as a well, me as an adult, you guys as almost grown up now. If you look at it as um, that sort of thing, for me, the last few doctors have been a bit of fun. It's been jolly. It's been interesting, and that's what it was when it came back. I think the uh, Christopher Eccleston was the good start. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very good start. There's been nothing wrong with any of the actors they have been playing to what they perceive is their audience. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And it's not a worry, because as far as I'm concerned, I want Doctor Who to be dark interesting stories. You know, sort of David Tennant meets Batman type thing. You know, it's that type of, you know, he, he has got a soul. They started playing around with that a bit, as Bryn said. I keep saying as Bryn said. I'm agreeing with him too much. Towards the end of it, they started playing around with him as in... You know, this was a dark character. There was something else going on, and and but then they'd have um, oh, I forgot his name now. The very young one, whatever his name, Matt was. Smith. Matt Smith. Then you'd have him. I don't know, walking around with gangly legs, silly haircut, and smiling at people again, and it was all okay. You'd have these moments, and they were only moments. It, it did get dark towards the end with um. Uh, I've got their name as well. Taylor. No, no, the girl, the girl. The girl that was the little girl in the bedroom.
0: Oh, and with yeah. And, and
3: yeah. Like, Karen Gillan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it started getting dark towards that with, you know, her child and obviously it then it was all made nice again. But, you know, there was yep, part yep. of a series where there was actually something going on. There was, mm. there was, the, we didn't understand where she was, who she was, and there was like but, the pain of
1: separation and, you had the sort of—I mean—that—that—that that, that is a sort of brilliant example of how they sort of went. Uh, oh, let's do something really dramatic, but then let's just make it completely okay, and no one—no one worries about it after that point. You had—you yeah. know—the kid had been kidnapped, and then six months later, we get another program where it turns out that oh, it was River Song all along, and we're not worried about that now. <laughs> um, and it was the case of like, so the baby disappears, and suddenly she sort of just goes. Oh well, I know it's going to be River, so it's all fine. Then just sort of carry on. I think he no, 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 no. To be there, sort of grabbing him by by thing. Where's my kid? I want to raise my kid. You bastard! Bring her back, kind of a thing. Yeah, but where
3: where is? I mean, again, I'm not worried, but there there is a set of people that watch Doctor Who because of. They're the teenage girls, and you know they they like the handsome, lovely boys that run around in skinny jeans or whatever they're wearing. Mm. Now, which is fine, but what I'm saying is they are not gonna like Capaldi, whatever he does. And mm. the point is, they've put in a character, well, they put in an actor that said, "Okay, we're going to give this a bit more gravitas. We're going to make him a bit more of what Doctor Who maybe used to be." And if we're gonna, if the people aren't gonna like it anyway, then let's make it good. <laughs> let's make <laughs> yes. it, yeah. yeah. Let's make yeah. it properly dark. Let's make it properly yeah. Doctor Who. I mean, the original Doctor Who's were. I mean, when I was a kid, the Daleks were scary, but not because they were so. You know, it wasn't like you know. You see Daleks now, and kids aren't scared of them. And what it is is the whole show was scary, and the Daleks were the tipping point. Mm. You know, that mm. was an extra scare on top of being scared. Mm. And nowadays, it's like. You know, the, the first time that, was it Daleks in Manhattan, Daleks in New York or whatever, and you had Freema running around looking gorgeous, and they yeah, were yeah. all, it was all to do with, you know, all these poor people being made in the Depression to build the Empire State Building, and it was all, oh, and you knew it was going to turn out all right. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. no, you don't want to know that in Doctor Who. Yeah. In Doctor Who, quite often it didn't turn out all right. the... People just died. Yeah, companions dying, you know, yeah, doctors. Yeah, Danish, they just or- went. They just went, mm. and it was like, oh, oh dear, this is mm. Doctor Who. Of course, it's not, mm. it's not. It was more like, um, um, oh, I can't. Brothers Grimm type story. Mm. Yeah, you know, it, it was like the type of thing in the old days where you scared kids because kids like to be scared, mm. and nowadays you scare kids a little bit in the Harry Potter sort of way, and then you make them all superheroes by the end. And I hope, I really do hope that they've put the actor in there and they're going to say, look, we'll give it a go, right? We might lose a few people, but we might gain a little bit of gravitas as in yeah. we're making something important and worthwhile rather. Because you know what? It was really clever having John Hurt because John mm. Hurt is how I see Yes, maybe Troughton, right? If yeah. Troughton was still around and he was still going, mm. he would have turned into John Hurt. And it was very clever, very clever casting. He was dark, he was dangerous, he was moody. And at the end, it was a slight gentleness. When the three doctors have got their TARDISes all lined up and they're all talking to each other and he's sort of going, but I'm not going to remember any of this. And he sort of seemed relieved. Yeah. you know, And it was good casting. So it says to me that they knew... That they were going to have Capaldi a long yeah. time ago because they were going to give it to him before Matt Smith. Not really? I don't know if it's common knowledge. He yeah. anyway. was.
2: It was. Yeah, widely considered for it, and then they still decided they thought one more time we need a kid. Yeah, one more younger, and but then Capaldi yeah.
3: was the Capaldi was who was going to get it a long time ago. Mm. It was always going to be Capaldi as long mm. as he wanted it. So they've been working towards this for a long, long time, and I really hope it. Yeah. I really hope it works, and I am sorry because there are people out there that are going to go, this is rubbish, and this is. Uh, but they'll walk round the National Gallery and take selfies with the pictures. Yeah, so be fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, for the first time since uh, David Tennant's um, reign, I'm, uh, I'm actually I'm actually looking forward to a new series of block two I think you I think you're absolutely right, Alex. They're, it may be that they've um, they've said right. Well, if we can't have another young one, let's at least let's at least make it good yeah so uh so yeah i think
2: it's that they're no longer so scared about losing that certain section of the audience that we're going well they're yeah, not going to lose remember our generation
0: this- are they, Tone? <laughs>
2: yeah, they're say they they got those complaints from from the sort of you know teen girls that alex was talking about it's like oh.
0: He's, he's, he's ugly
2: and old, I'm not going to watch anymore. And you had well, the caption of Capaldi, you had a picture of Capaldi as um, Tucker going, Effety Biden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's got
0: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: But what's interesting is they've done this with a very strong companion character already. Yeah. And she's intrinsically wound into Doctor Who. She's not just somebody. In yeah. the story of Doctor Who, she's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So... They've got somewhere to continue from, whereas the Doctor isn't the only character that matters. Because yeah. yeah. she is as important in the whole story as Doctor Who as the Doctor is, it yeah. turns out to be. So, I mean, she'll be there as long as she wants, but she's a good actor. She's a strong character. And, um, you know, she she doesn't pull the punches with him. She never did. She wasn't like the you know the ones that all fell in love with him.
2: Mm.
3: She was always like telling him where to go what to do if anyone was telling if anyone was the boss it was her yeah. so this should be quite good because i can see they could write in a little bit of tension but not naughty tension actual yeah. she's not used to being told what to do more like familiar is a man that doesn't want yeah. to be told what to do yeah. anyway it could be interesting
2: yes that's one thing Capaldi said isn't it it's like my doctor's not going to be the one that flirts with Yes, yeah. at we last. probably
1: tried it, and she blew him out.
2: Yeah. Well, apparently,
1: <laughs> apparently, one of the jokes he's going to be using, is thinking is referring to to uh, her as his carer, kind
0: of oh. thing. I'm <laughs> oh, oh,
2: looking forward to it more. Actually, than it. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: that's uh, yes, that's that's maybe look forward to it even more. Let's move on to the stream. Netflix now has more subscription revenue than HBO. As if we uh, as if we knew this moment wasn't coming. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings humbly bragged on Facebook today. That's a that's that's a few days ago now. This is from uh, this is from Quartz. This is actually a story from I don't know, but we'll find out eventually. Uh, minor milestone last quarter we passed HBO in subscriber revenue. That's uh, 1.146 billion versus 1.141 billion. Uh, they still kick our ass in profits and Emmys, but we are making progress. HBO rocks, and we are honoured to be in the same league. Yes, I loved Silicon Valley, and yes, it hit a little close to home. So, I mean, this was going to happen eventually, wasn't it? Netflix, who are available everywhere, HBO, who are only available in the states. Mm.
2: But if if they compared, you know, just Netflix in the states would that, you know, that's what I thought they they would have done, so it so could be a more fair comparison.
1: Well, it's HBO's fault that they're nowhere else. Yeah, but I think, I don't think HBO's thinking. No, we're we're happy selling in the US and and um, having subscribers in the US and selling in the programmes abroad. You know, they've not got to spend, they've not got to spend the money. That they've got on establishing networks, establishing their own channels, and everything, they could just come to the UK, sell it to Sky, and make as much money as they would have done with none of the costs. You, so, you've got to
0: think that's got to change eventually. They've got. There's got to be some kind of HBO go for the rest of the world,
1: presumably. But again, you know, if, if you looking at it, going if you if you, the, the thing about Netflix is they've spent a lot of time. Building out that network, not just of the infrastructure to sell, sell the uh, sell the content that they've managed to negotiate access to. They've also had to spend the infrastructure to actually get people rolled out, establishing the social networks to actually get people to sign up and share their viewing habits. Whereas HBO don't need to do that. They've they've got high quality content which they can sell to people. They don't have to spend that money. Because they could, they know they could just give it to Sky. Sky, Sky will yeah. broadcast in, in, in the UK. Uh, there'll be places in France that do the same. They, yeah. don't, have they don't have to have spend, to that spend time, that. Time, time setting up that network and doing all that work because mm. Sky will do that for them,
2: yeah. I mean, I mean, also, you know, what one thing you know, Netflix, even you know, they have had their problems like with Verizon, haven't they? Where mm. Verizon was saying, Oh, you know, complaining. 'cause Netflix were allegedly saying, Oh, your connection isn't good enough.
0: Well, Netflix are now paying Verizon and Comcast, is it? I think they're actually yeah, paying they them to, to give them a good a good um, yeah. Good, yeah. good streaming bandwidth. Yeah. And they?
1: they're and they're beholden to these organizations for their entire business. So if if, if Verizon Comcast decide to um to up their up their uh rates by a penny per per gig or penny per megabyte, then their entire revenue model is is screwed. They've uh, and their 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 profits will be massively down. Whereas again HBO don't have that. They they could just they could to red sky and say, Yeah, you want the next series of uh want the next series of Game of Thrones? Great, that's gonna cost you an extra hundred grand this yeah. year, kind of a thing. Yeah.
2: I mean, also, you look at this, you know, this sort of graph in the article, you know, about the profits. It's like HBO is sort of, yeah, it does go up a little bit, but it's plateaued, isn't it? Whereas the, you know, the Netflix profit, it's, it's quite a steep, you know. G- yeah, it's a, it's I think, a steep I think climb it, to fame, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you get it. I mean, they do. you do seem to have had that with all these sort of online, you know, streaming services, not just Netflix. Um, I mean, it was reported last week that you know this WWE network that's been the exception <laughs> because they've they've had people they tried to lock people in for six months and people have been cancelling early, so they've lost a lot of lot of numbers because of that, and they've got nowhere near what they predicted. But you know, but all but these then, other ones like Amazon, even Amazon, I'm sure has a similar sort of climb. Yeah. but then again, you look at out
1: where. Um, Compare it to where Amazon is starting from. Amazon already has a massive base of customers who are already they've already got their credit card details. They've already got a lot of data on their buying habits and and all that kind of stuff. They had the also, love
2: film, yeah,
1: exactly. And they've got they've got yeah. the stuff through the love film, but they've been able to they'll be able to integrate all that data into their system and be able to profile people and say, ah, right, you've watched. Um, you watch Captain America, then you might also like um, you might also like this, uh, you know, Batman. Uh, Batman Begins, kind of a thing, and they they could do that because they've got that data. Whereas if HBO was to start doing it themselves, they they would be starting from scratch, you know. And whereas they they think last year they made five hundred and forty eight million in the last quarter mm. for his parent. Compared to seventy-one million for Netflix, and it's a case of thinking they're not they're not losing money. Uh, yes, subscriber revenue may have may have plateaued, but it may just be case. It's sort of one of those situations where you're comparing BMWs versus for, you know Ford. Mm. You know, thinking well, yeah, great. You can you can pay. You know, Ford was going for mass marketing putting everything everywhere kind of a thing whereas hbo's potentially comfortable at with the with, with the, the sort end. of content that yeah. they're creating so you know the likes of the likes of your uh, game of thrones and your mm. and your mad men and your uh, and um was it Breaking Bad as well, I
0: think. That- uh, no, that was um, oh. Showtime. Uh, that was, uh, was it Showtime? I thought that was um, AMC. Was oh, AMC right. American Movie oh, Classics right. of all okay. things? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Alex, I the- you, sorry, Bren. My- no,
1: I was just because. Yeah, that's it. Was-
0: yeah, Alex, you, 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 seem you seem to want to jump in. Yeah, i was just thinking that that's such,
3: there's a couple of things you're missing, and one of them is that they are completely. They are completely different items, Netflix and HBO. Um, They're not competitors in the Mm. sense of um, they're producing the same thing. It's just, Mm. you know, the end object is you're watching something. Um, But I think Netflix's success is purely based on the fact that they're bloody brilliant. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. Okay, I mean, that's the simple thing that people aren't taking into account with this story. Or there's got to be a reason, there's got to be this and the other. Now, the reason Netflix is really good is they provide a really, really, really good value service that has an awful lot of really, really good content for very, very little money.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, The only thing, right, what will happen, okay, in my, my future looking through the crystal ball is... Netflix will, they will reach a saturation point, but not not for a long, 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 long time because they've still got such small figures at the moment. But, I mean, I would always carry on watching Netflix because of, there's always going to be something that I haven't seen before. That you've got people that want HBO because they want that thing that's coming out tomorrow and they're willing to pay $50 a month for the yeah. one program. And that's basically that's all they're doing. They're paying fifty dollars a month to watch Game of Thrones or whatever that thing's called, which I've never seen. Mm. <laughs> but you can pay I don't know what it is in dollars, but I mean, here I'm only paying five ninety-nine to still well, I think it's five ninety-nine to still. I know it's gone up to 8 eight ninety. I can't remember what it's done anyway. But you're paying substantially less for an enormous back catalogue of some very, very, very good stuff. I mean, I don't really tend to watch Netflix to watch films. I mean, I do watch films on it. I tend to use Netflix to watch a whole series of things, Mm. you know. You know, like Star Trek. I don't know how many episodes of Star Trek Next Generation is, but it's going to take me a year or two to get through them. Mm. You know, and they've got me for a year or two just because of Star Trek. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of reasonable choices on there. So they're not competing as such. Um HBO figures will go down because of in a funny way there is less money around. And it's not only that you think you know what I'm paying right here I'm thinking I'm paying 5.99 for something that I watch 80% of my viewing on. And I'm paying I won't say how obscene the amount of money is <laughs> to watch maybe one game of football a month and a film if I can remember that I actually pay for all the channels, you know? And I won't tell you what that is a month, but it's an awful lot more, right? And um, it's habitual. But if, if I, I don't know, you've got one of those companies come around and goes, oh, we could save you money by, um, you know, looking at what you spend money on. And then they go, I'm not even sure you need a telly. You know, that's what they'd say to me. You could cut everything, you could have band and band um, and Netflix and you probably wouldn't even need a TV anymore. And mm. there's a lot of people out there that see it as... Net- you know what, I, the other day I I actually looked on the TV for something to look at because I realised I look at Netflix first. Mm. And mm. if I haven't no, got I anything know. that grabs me, I then come think, oh, you know what, I'll turn the telly on. I mean, I'll turn on <laughs> the, <laughs> That's the telly the a to love it's a regular scheduled that.
2: programming.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah but with a TiVo box attached, with 500 channels, which I pay for. Them. And then I think, but the first thing I go to is Netflix. And I think. Which
0: you pay $5.99 a month for. Exactly. And I'm
3: just, sometimes I think, I honestly, I look at it and I think, I, I've never been really, really, really dumb, which I'm sure I am being, or they're being really, really, really dumb because once they've got you, you'd pay a lot more for 5
0: Yeah. I haven't stopped and paying for Netflix since, I, since it started in this country, yeah. actually. Well, the thing
3: is, I took it out. because I, I, I think I took it out originally because we were going to do the original version of this show. And you were going, oh, have you got Netflix? Oh, I'll do it next week. I can't be bothered. I've got all these channels and what have you. But I used to watch something called Seesaw back in the day, which was a British version of Netflix, which went bust because Netflix was coming out. Basically, net. They didn't go. Netflix didn't put them out of business, but they went out of business because Netflix was coming, and they were. I had that about a year and a half, two years before Netflix, and it was all free, which I, I could never work out how they managed to. Well, they obviously, couldn't make it. They <laughs> couldn't money
0: make before, it work now. <laughs> but
3: yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, Netflix will get stronger and stronger, but as long as long as there's a big enough back catalogue because other places will start going you know what why are we giving this to Netflix why don't the BBC just have their own back catalogue available through the iPlayer for an extra fee or BBC couldn't manage that
0: either in the end could they
3: no but the point is some of these people that hold the rights to these programmes might start thinking you know what maybe we could get a subscription service going on the back of what we've got rather than having to give it away
1: yeah, but again, it's it's sort of there's a, a potential model for somebody like Netflix to provide that service to these people because rather than again the, the cost of setting up their own networks to deal with it, getting the 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 expertise in to start streaming this content online, encoding and all that kind of stuff, they can turn to somebody like Netflix and say, "Look, we've got this. We've got this content." Can you make it available for the us? The BBC and back
0: catalogue powered by Netflix or something like that. that back kind
1: catalogue of thing, yeah, exactly. And because it's not, again, I think the BBC perhaps is a bad example to pick because they've got
0: ITV, uh, Channel 4. ITV, exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: Channel 4. Or, or, I mean, help, let's go to Wales and S4C. They've not necessarily got the expertise in house. They can never afford the expertise. So they can go out to somebody that likes of Netflix or go to Google, to YouTube and say, we've got this entire back catalogue put it out there for us' we'll, we'll take a cut of anything you make on it so rather than it gathering dust on the shelf in the back it's actually raising some some money for them
2: yeah. I mean they they have sort of attempted with 4 OD to put quite a lot you mm. know online haven't they mm. it's just sometimes that the you you know the sort of user interface end of that mm. is what lets it down no yeah. it's not the content at all no
1: and again it's it's then having the expertise to be able to build that kind yeah. of System to support doing yeah. that, and that, and that's where that's where things usually fall down. Because mm. if you consider the expertise that people like you, the stuff at YouTube will have about streaming video, uh, consider you know what Netflix will know about streaming video, or what um, Amazon and the Love Film people will know about it. That's already expertise that they can then spin out as a, as a separate business. unit you know, and make some money yeah. off it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that would be good. It'll be good if if we can if we can finally get rid of the ITV player and all of its <laughs> in all of its glorious horror. Yes. Oh dear. Right. Let us move on to the movies. Babylon Five reboot likely to become big budget film. Mm. <laughs> hey, this story from Arstechnica.com. According to a report from TV Wise, Babylon Five showrunner J Michael St- is it is it. Yeah. I think it is. Uh, J. Michael, I could never yeah, work yeah, out. Well, JMS is what is what we usually yeah. refer to him. Uh, Will shortly begin work on a rebooted big screen version of his 1990s sci-fi TV series. JMS said the announcement at... <laughs> JMS made the announcement at Comic-Con last week. Uh, Babylon 5's pilot episode originally aired in 1993, with the series beginning its regular run almost a year later as a foundational component of the now defunct (laughs) Primetime Entertainment Network. The show lacked the production budget of its contemporary rival Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which allegedly lifted some or all of its core concepts directly from JMS's original (laughs) and rejected Babylon 5 pitch meeting with Paramount. I'm afraid I'm going to have to call bull on that one. Still, It attracted enough of an audience to accomplish a noteworthy feat. Babylon 5 became the only non-Star Trek science fiction show on American television to reach its series completion without being cancelled. Not until 2004's Battlestar Galactica reboot would another non-Star Trek show earn the same distinction. B5 ended in 1998... And uh, JMS has tried multiple times to bring a B five movie to theaters. Most recent attes- most recent attempt came in two thousand and four, uh, with a completed script, some pre production work underway, but without financial backing from Warner the project had to be abandoned. Now I remember Babylon five being uh, it was almost a low rent version of ds9 they have visually visually well the yeah. thing is it was so the visuals were so ahead of their time and unfortunately yeah. they were ahead of their time which led to a very low frame rate in the large battle scenes um it was uh, it, it had some interesting ideas some great uh, some great stories i just think it it lacked it lacked any um it lacked the same kind of polish as uh, the the ds9 managed i mean obviously ds9 got a lot of polish because it because it's yeah. star trek
2: I mean, i'd i say even ds9 that started out sort of you know not as good as it ended up mm. it was you know, i think obviously.
0: it was the problem child of all the of all the star trek series yeah because it, it was a, also the DX. enterprise <laughs>
2: yeah. enterprise a, yeah <laughs> yeah least, yeah enterprise well it, it got cancelled and it escaped for one more season didn't it you know. Yeah. but yeah these face it's the difficulty with DS9 that they had was the setting. Mm. It was different to every other Star Trek because it was, you know, oh, we can only be in one place. Okay, yeah. we'll have a we'll have a device to take us somewhere else. You know? Yeah,
1: and the the villain of the week or the helmet of the week motif didn't really figure <laughs> yeah. out so well. Did <laughs> it, helmet
0: of the same. week, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <'cause laughs> that,
2: that's, that's why i was yeah. glad they got the overall arc sort of yeah, towards yeah. the end and, of it, and
1: that's when it started yeah. to get interesting because they actually had. That arc going, and it wasn't a case of, uh, oh no, we've we've accounted a uh, a subspace uh, field germinating uh, plot device particles. Yes, yeah.
0: plot device uh, particles. And it's <laughs> making
1: and it's making everybody do something completely out of character. Yeah. Uh, and then Data says, "We'll remodulate the shields." And oh, it's excellent. We uh, fixed yeah. it all, again. Yeah. and we've all learned a valuable lesson.
0: Alex, you're a huge sci-fi fan. I know you've become a huge fan of um, of Star Trek. Did you ever experience Babylon Five?
3: Next question. <laughs> no, I I, um, I know of its existence, <laughs> and I did. Uh, let's see, I may only know of its existence because we may have had this conversation at some point. This is right, right. Because you're assuming everyone in the world knows what you're talking about. Is this the one when they were on a space station?
0: Well, yes. which one, know, space DS9 space or, or Babylon 5? Because they're the, both on The, space the very long
2: tubular
3: oh, space station. There you go. You, you, you've beaten me now. The very long... I don't sp- know which one. <laughs> I, I suppose it's Babylon 5 I'm thinking of, because I don't know I've ever heard of Deep Space Nine.
0: The, the spinning blue space station, all there alone at the night.
3: There you go. I've seen a, something... Oh, you know, I don't know. Isn't the whole point of Star Trek and all that is like they go places, they meet people and they do this and the other. Is this like a, a Star Trek for lazy buggers that sit at home and have their aliens brought to them? <laughs> Is this like a takeaway alien show? Um, you don't go out to yeah, have I an think, alien; you have an alien in. I think I know, Star- hey, you Sit down. I'll, I'll order us an alien. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think that's what a lot of Star Trek fans were worried about when when DS Nine was announced—that it was just going to be oh, all the aliens are going to come to Deep Space Nine. But it ended up not being quite like that. Hmm. Well, that's good.
2: And and I, neither did Babylon Five, really, because they took they did sort of they had a similar device where they could get. Far away, yeah, you know, and they they tried to take away from that setting as often as possible. Mm, mm.
0: Yeah, by the uh, right. that was a device that looked suspiciously like a wormhole. A wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: now I know all about wormholes because yeah. I know everything there is to know about Farscape.
0: Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, next up on our on our little uh, little sci-fi Star Trek thing. Simon Pegg hails new Star Trek director Roberto I think it's Roberto Orsi I think it's yeah. uh, I think it's pronounced. Yeah. This story from bbc.co.uk. New Star Trek director Roberto Orsi is th- is the perfect sense replacement for J.J. Abrams, actor Simon, Perg, Pe- Perg, Simon <laughs> Pegg, has said. Screenwriter Orsi will take over from Abrams, yay, who is currently shooting Star Wars Episode 7. He emailed me before the news broke saying, hey man, I might be doing this, shall we nerd out, said <laughs> Pegg, who plays Montgomery Scott. <laughs> he's a good friend. There's
3: he's, a reason for never watching it then.
0: Indeed. He's a good friend, he's very much part of the Star Trek family, he added. Star Trek 3, Will be Mexico City city born Aussie's directorial debut. Things are looking up. News of the appointment was reported by Variety in May. He has he has screenwriting and producer credits on projects such as the Transformers films, Mission Impossible Three. So things are looking down now. And co-wrote both of Abrams' Star Trek films, which is pretty much the final nail in the coffin for me. Right?
2: I mean, this this for me. I looked at his. If you look at his full history, yes, he does have the terrible. It, it's quite a mix. <laughs> does have the terrible. Best. It's quite a mixed series though, because there's also good stuff like Watchmen, yeah. Cowboys and Aliens. You know, yeah. Even the could, they have
3: been, could they have been accidents?
2: <laughs>
0: Possibly. Possibly.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I think the the okay. I'm going to say something potentially controversial, and I quite like the uh, Abrams reboots.
0: Mm. I'm very happy that you've that you've come onto the onto the airwaves this week, Bryn. I'm sure you'll be um, very happy with the speed of which I throw you off the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, there's a reason because I think it, it kind of it needed something new after what well, they'd how, how they managed to leave things off with Enterprise, and there was no way that you gonna, were just. Good, I thought you were just going to say
3: it. Saves going down to the masochist club.
1: But no, I mean it's it. What happened with with Enterprise and how they ended Enterprise, sort of soured the whole thing for, for most of everybody. Well, Enterprise they, ended
0: with an end of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Well, ex- well yeah, exactly. It and and it became you. they
1: they they completely again. It goes back to what we we're saying with um, we were saying with with the Doctor Who stuff. It's like it, it all just got reset and everything was just done away with. It turned the whole thing into a holodeck adventure for Commander Riker. And you kind of felt like, oh well, what was the point then? And the, it now, got, it now gives him a chance to go back and do something new and, and, and look at it in a different way. Now, the exception to that is what happened in Star Trek, in the second film, where they had various bits of story which made absolutely no sense. Um, you know, we start off with like uh, the 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 the. Well, okay. Spoiler alert again: the the Kirk being uh, Kirk dying in the reactor versus Spock dying in the reactor. The magical blood that reset the, that brought everybody back to life and eliminated death in, in, in the universe. Um, the scene where. Um, Alice, uh, what's her name? Alice,
0: the one who played Carol Marcus. Miles, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, Alice, Alice Miles appears completely in her underwear for no for no reason at all. Other than that, she appears in her underwear for no reason at all. And kind of thinking, sort of I'm trying to work out of, which part of this you're complaining about. Well, no, it, it was all just ham and and lack mm. lack subtlety. It whereas. Was, yeah. I, I, I kind of felt that that was a bit of a backward
0: step. Whereas, well, look, if you make
3: one. a film right and name it after a car rental company, it's bound not to be very good.
0: <laughs> Into Darkness,
3: <laughs> no Enterprise.
0: Oh, Enterprise.
3: Oh, all right. Um, the next sequel is called Hurts. <laughs> oh,
0: dear. So many, so that's many cool. show titles this evening, um, gentlemen. Fabulous. Well,
1: <laughs> it's a um. Yeah, so, and I kind of thinking, yeah, I mean, also, admittedly, they went completely overboard with the lens flares, in a case of, mm. uh, it, it led to one of my favourite gags in How It Should Have Ended, where it goes, um, they're, they're stuck, we can't get out. Uh, wait, what if we switch off the lens flare generators? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <was> thinking, yeah. <laughs> oh, suddenly we have enough power to escape. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, it sort of got a bit carried away in a bit. Uh, yeah. And I think if he. And it kind of wondering is that was that Orsi's sort of uh, had heavy-handed writing, or was it uh, Abrams with his with his directing? And it kind of like it's probably that, a combination
2: of both. I would Say it seemed to be. Yeah, I mean, you could argue more. It was a sort of visual style mm. that Abrams tried to yeah. make with it. But if you look at look yeah. at their
1: at their uh, at Orsi and uh, Abrams's credits, they're sort of. They're heavily involved in each other's projects, mm. so it's it's not it's not going to be a big departure from where no. where they're already at. Mm. And if you've got O.C. writing it, and he's now yeah. going to be directing it as well, in this case of like going, mm, okay.
2: As, as long as this next one, it doesn't involve them taking Wales back to, <laughs> to future Earth. Then I'll uh, be okay with it. Yeah,
1: it'd be nice if they actually now felt like they've established that universe, they could go off in their own <laughs> direction. I think using it to reset it back back to an early state and get a new generation of people interested in it to the extent where they could feel like they could do another TV series with it, that was a great reason for the first one. second one felt, yeah, you're borrowing too much, you can sort of forgive
0: them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I just don't I think that uh, Star Trek didn't need rebooting. It needed taking, it needed at the end of Voyager, it needed to go on another 70 or a hundred years. Mm. Yeah. But what, 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 what were they
1: going to do? Another, another mission where they were going back into deep space and something, doing something different. Yeah. But what, what would be different? <laughs> It'd be a case of like, Oh, you're not another enterprise, but this time they're going even deeper into space. Like we have had I'm that. Bit, we had sorry, Voyager. Sorry,
3: I mean, this is such a strange question, right? But if you write something contemporary, Right, mm. six billion stories going on, on Earth at any one time. Right, mm-hmm. so even if you had a spaceship in space at exactly the same time, you would have different people on it, and they'd have different encounters with different characters. You don't need to move. You don't need to reboot. This could be but, yeah. this could be the Enterprise's sister ships program, and this will be another set of people. You can even make references. I mean, <clears throat> question I'm going to ask, right? And it's quite important because I don't know the answer. Right now, I'm trying to think, especially TV-wise, what is the contemporary sci-fi going on? Because I can't think of anything. The only thing I can think of, everything has gone to fantasy rather than sci-fi.
2: Yeah, you're getting in more with films, aren't you, with the sort of Marvel Uh. stuff and... But not, yeah,
0: not there so. aren't really any science fiction flying around in the spaceship series at the
2: moment. They no.
0: had
1: um, so you have time travel sci-fi in um, well Doctor Continuum, Who.
0: yeah, and Continuum.
1: Um, but that again is more of a sort of the sci-fi is just a mechanism for the story to be happening. There's the new uh, Amazon film series. Oh,
0: yeah, so yes. was, was that it? Yeah, I've been thinking uh, of looking at that, and I'm yeah, waiting for so more episodes so. to become available so I can mm. actually do a sort of a, a a half ninja, let's say. Yeah, and a ninjet. a ninjette, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and again, it's sort of thinking. There, there is some of the business being used as a, as a mechanism for exploring. It's, it's, it's not. Sci-fi for the sake of sci- sci-fi, it's a sci- sci-fi for for bits of sake of the story. So, it may not. But surely, sort of that's
3: what as... sci-fi is. Anyways, it's just to do with you. You pick a uh, a well-told humanitarian type story, and you stick it on a spaceship, and you find people from other planets, which, and you give them funny little faces, and they all mm-hmm. happen to be pretty underneath all that weird makeup. Yep. Is always the case in
1: sci-fi. Oh, uh, and the, they nearly always have human hands. That's always a bit of confusion. The, uh, the the but, the one hundred, but it's all, but that's also terrible. But
3: then my point is, is sci-fi. I mean, you're saying all oh, this guy's writing a story, this side and the other. What you want to do is, you want to write a nice story, a good story, a story worth telling, mm. and then convert it into sci-fi. You want to base the story. You want it to be a real, told, worthwhile story. And then you can work out how you can make it into that's, another planet. Yeah, and that's how
2: Star Trek started. It was it This was originally, is what
3: it should be doing. I mean, it was people basically talking about these Western. people writing.
2: Yeah.
3: And, I, so I, you know, J.J. Abraham's writing in this or directing that or whichever. Why is it? And this is, this is the really bit, this is sort of where I'm getting at, is why is it there seems to be three people in the world now that make films or, you know, it might be four of them. <laughs> there seem to be Michael three or four Bay. people in the world that makes films. Yeah. There isn't a new story out there. Everything's a reboot. There's nobody out there. There's a world full of stories. There's a world full of... There's a billion stories that have already been told that could be told again and you can do a million and one different things with every one of those stories and they don't have to be a reboot. They don't need the same people writing them. They don't need... It's mean, just the cowardice of... Mm. <laughs> and the unintelligence and the, and just, I, I used to think things were bad, as in, you know, people weren't coming up with anything new because of, I don't know, 10% of things were just rehashed old nonsense. Now you might it's be lucky far, yeah. if you find 10% of something that's new. And this is the point. People are always sitting there going, oh, you know, he, he, he should be able to do that. I'm like, no, he shouldn't. He shouldn't be allowed to do this. <laughs> A good writer should come along because there's good writers all over the place with a good story, and then they should say, "Okay, well, we'd we'd love that, but we want to do something sci-fi. What do you know? Or we can give you access to our people that are really good with the sci-fi imagination and put that together. Don't just rehash yeah. everything and it's just stuff and nonsense. And it it's like I was saying, I think it was last week. They're treating us like we're morons, <laughs> and we're letting them. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, my my fear with it, if, if I think I don't know what they you know, if they continued, you know, on with Star Trek and so on, it it would become sort of like CSI, where you have you know, you're just different <laughs> versions, yeah. yeah, it's based in a different location, but it's still the same.
1: Well, yeah, and I think I think that's that was my yeah. sort of point. Would be that there's, a, there's a limit to the number of types of stories you could say, and you've got a. a um, an audience and a, that's obsessive enough to to recognize story elements from different from yeah. the different versions so It's a case of going he, he oh, even
2: got that with Next Generation.
1: Exactly, it's like oh, this is just a retelling of the story you did for yeah. did in the original series, and uh, you know, except this time you had the character this character do that instead, and instead of picking up a phaser, he picked up a spear kind of thing. But it was clearly an illusion back to this original story. Thinking, well, okay, just yeah. again do something new with with the characters stuff that you weren't necessarily able to do in in the, the original something uh, perhaps a bit more interesting but again you could tell just sort of be be faith be on what came before but tell a new story mm. you know so um, you put so if you go back to the to the first the 2009 film they did something new they, they faced uh, an enemy where they never you know, they'd never seen the likes of it before. And get, you get you've got to see how that new crew that crew was formed. Whereas the second one, to an the extent they sort of went, Alright, let's just do something similar again, but this yeah. time let's crowbar a few
2: more references to let, let's have rough of Khan search for spot, put it yeah. all together. Yeah, yeah. pretty
1: much. Pretty and much. and that kinda of is, is where they possibly let it down. So what they, what they needed to do was have the confidence to build on what they had in the original in, in the 2009 film and do something new with it. And again, so sort of that sort of goes to what, what Alex was saying is actually have the confidence to do something new uh, you know, you,
2: you start, You've start you now established that universe, do something interesting with it. Yeah. I think it's because that, for that first one, they did try something new and they got a kicking for it in, a, in many circles. <laughs> Yeah, really, but it still goes back. Yeah. I think kind of remember an Onion headline
1: yeah. where it was the they're going, um, you know, it's uh, the going, Star Trek fans are outraged as new movie is actually quite good. And, <laughs> you yeah. know, they were going, they're going, Star Trek fans are complaining that it doesn't contain endless hours of dialogue in Klingon and deep philosophical discussions about the implications of the Prime Directive. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, because it did had sort of disappeared up its own, up its own backside a bit, and you kind of felt like it needed something to, to refresh it a little. And I thought that's why I thought it was a good start, um, which they then let it down a bit with the 2009 movie. Still was a good, a fun movie to watch, but you kind of felt there are bits you could do better, guys. And that's why I'm kind of wanting to see something new. And actually be happier with you know with Abrams coming off it would have been happier to see a completely new team tackle it so yes that would have been nice more mm, interesting
0: someone completely whereas new. you
1: know or he's going to play I mean you look at his sort of writing credits there's all sort of conspiracy theory mm. um, conspiracy theories uh, sort of uh, element of the week kind of stuff like you look at um, Fringe for instance is it's, it's that sort of stuff that he was involved with and that's the sort of stuff he tends mm. to end up writing
0: well We'll see. We'll see what what comes out of it. Uh, whatever happens with Star Trek three, I'll probably end up going to see it at the cinema yeah. again. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm sure I'll have lots to complain about. But then oh, yes. again, I'll come. I'll come on the show and um, and I, and I shall vent my uh, vent my disgust at uh, at the writers and director and whoever else is involved. Let's move on to the books. This is book news for those of you who haven't noticed a pattern developing here. Authors rally against Amazon in Hachette dispute. This is from the BBC.co.uk as well. More than 900 authors are making a public appeal to Amazon to end a bitter publishing dispute that has been hurting writers and readers. Authors including James Patterson and Donna Tart have signed a letter to the retailer that is due to appear as a full-page advert in the New York Times. Amazon is in a battle with Hachette, one of the world's biggest publishers, over terms of ebook sales. The authors have said their books have been taken hostage by Amazon's tactics. Uh, the online retailer has delayed delivery, prevented pre-orders, and removed discounts for books by some Hachette authors, who include J.K. Rowling, Stephanie Meyer, and David Baldacci. See you. There's more book rows going on. And and it seems to be mostly Amazon that people are people are complaining about.
1: you yeah. sort of read, read it too. You go, you look at some of the stuff that it's talking about. So, it, Amazon's arguing that books, you know, the e-books are too expensive. So, right, so they're paying fourteen ninety nine for an e-book, you know, and they wanted to uh, charging nine ninety nine for it. Are they going, well, you, you can sort of see a logic and reason to charging. Mm. Fourteen ninety nine for it if it's actually paper because you know there's a the cost a physical produ- object, yeah. exactly whereas you know it it assumes you know and that sort of then uh, accounts for the cost of distribution the you know the cost of production the proofing the type it typesetting and everything and it, it then uh, you then sort of thinking well yeah the cost of getting it to the shop and you know and actually having the shop whereas now it's a case of you're you're sat in your in your home on the sofa, um, you know, or in the museum taking selfies on your on, on selfies the Mona Lisa, and you, you're buying a book at the same time. i think being, and then can you look at some of the stuff? The the people who are actually making the money out of selling these books are rarely the authors themselves. They'll be the publishers or the or thing. And then the you know you look at this is sort of same sort of deal with music labels. They're going. They're going. The 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 artists themselves aren't actually making money much money from the album sales. They're making money from the tours. This, they're this ma- they're making points of a, of, a, yeah.
2: Yeah. of a penny.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and and it's a case of there. It's 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 the the books book market is having the same sort of fight that the music industry was having ten fifteen years ago, and they're going, no, no, we need to keep, we want to we want to maintain the cost for our product because our product is uh, much better than than the than, than music and therefore you know we're we're not going to put up with it we're gonna stick to our guns and say 1499 and again we, there's also the arguments made that amazon does have a bit too much power they've got most of yeah they they they're pretty much it when it comes to ebooks you know they're Google Google is catching up uh, to a to a degree
0: Apple's got the um, iBook store but that's only Apple's, on Apple
1: products Exactly so whereas Amazon have, have have gone right let's just sell our device for as little as possible and just capture the market that way so if you're selling ebooks you kind of have to put it on on Amazon uh, and then so they they're in a in a position where they can dictate terms to publishers so they do have a bit too much power but it's one of the things. There, there, Sort of. I think it's one. Sort of. People like Jeff Jarvis argues it's sort of analog dimes for digital sense kind of a thing.
0: Mm.
1: Whereas you know, if you if you lo- if you halve the price, you're potentially going to sell two units instead of the original one. In theory. In theory. That depends and, if you've
0: got enough people. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> people and, who
0: would buy it for one price. but yeah. Might not buy it for the. Slightly higher, and
1: you look at some of the authors they're 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 citing. I mean, you've got people like um, Sandra Brown, James Patterson. You've got J.K. Rowling. These are big names with lots, you know, who've got established, who's you know established reputation in the market. So you know, you cut their price, and you've got you're going to sell more of their books. And I don't think, frankly, that people like James Patterson will make a lot of will will get will get any less money. If they, you know, the guys established well enough so that he can pretty much turn to renters or his publisher company and say, you know, you're going to give me a million for the next book, and he goes, okay. oh, okay, and they go- they got to make that hand, hand over fist. So both sides, I think, have share. It is not fair to say this is Am- all Amazon's fault. I think both sides have a part to play in it. I think it's a case of I think maybe Amazon needs to look at a gradual phased reduction in the price say all right maybe instead of paying $14.99 maybe they spend $11.99 for the book and and you can't over time then it kind of it kind of corrects itself and it comes to a, a much more reasonable level um
0: alex what do you uh, what's your what's your thinking
3: well uh, to be honest it's greed on every side mm. um used to be a time where all artists all musicians all Actors, all authors, they did it for the art. That's a mm. long time ago. Mm. Okay, these are all greedy buggers, right? And mm. that was the that was me cleaning it up halfway through the word. Actually, <laughs> um, you know, these people are going to make money hand over fist. What they aren't appreciating is, all right, I've bought, well, I've had a Kindle for a year a year and a half, and I mean the Kindle I had a Kindle app before I bought a couple of books. I've bought maybe 100 books in the last year and a half, which is 90 more than I would have bought before I had my Kindle. Mm. Right? Um, And I'm not spending fortunes on books, but I'm enjoying them. I'm reading them. There's a convenience about them. There's there's the uh, disposability of them. In a funny way, I'm buying books because I don't want any more books in my storeroom and I don't want any more books on my bookshelf. The books I really want, and they're not books I read, the books I really want are full of, you know, I bought a really nice uh, expensive glossy Hubble Space uh, Telescope Photograph book. I'm not going to buy that on the Kindle. Or the iPad or any of those really useless devices for actually looking at proper artworks. Um, and I bought loads of books and say I spend an average of £5 on a book, I don't know so so the authors have made £500 or Amazon have got £500 out of me and passed 50% off to authors, I don't know what it is but that's at least £400 more than I would have spent. Now it's all very well for these well established rich authors to start moaning and groaning and whatever, but it's the same old, you know pulled the ladder up, we've made it, type nonsense again. (laughs) You know, and as far as I'm concerned, I thought you were all meant to be in it together. You know, I thought you were all, like, you know, doing it for your art. You're doing it for your bank balance and nothing more, you know. And Mm. you know what? I have no sympathy because of the people that are struggling to get a name would give anything to make sure Amazon were knocking out their books, even if they were knocking them out for 99p.
2: Mm. because well.
3: they'll be able to get their work in people's faces and if they believe they're good people go you know this new author that's brilliant i'll mm. look out for that one the next time i might buy his book next time or whatever you know yeah, yeah. it's pulled the ladder up jack i'm all right and mm. i despise that in all people that are like that and these people are just showing themselves to be greedy buggers mm. and look amazon are a big behemoth of a company who are out there to do nothing other than they are. In that respect, uh, I don't particularly like them because they're a big behemoth that does nothing other than wanting to make money, right? But Mm -hmm. they're the only honest ones in this. Yeah. You know, these people... Amazon are saying to them, at the end of the day, you're going to get a check for the same money, if not more. Mm -hmm. All you're doing by doing what you're doing is trying to make it difficult for anybody that isn't you to make anything. I rest my case you greedy really buggers
0: indeed indeed well i think we can yes indeed i think and and that is that is where we will finish our stories on well, a very a very nice point made there by alex g fox excellent right let's move on to what we have been watching reading playing or listening to this week tome we shall start with you sir.
2: okay um first thing i watched the other day it was popped up on the iplayer um, bbc click you know, the sort of technology thing that usually runs on the news channel, I think, and then they get airings on BBC Two as well. Um, They did like a little special on sort of drones and sort of remote, little remote control, you know, these sort of remote control helicopters and things like that that you can buy. You know, half an hour on that. um, They went from the, you know, the ones you can buy to sort of right up to, you know, what, what america's using in the ones the con- americans con- can buy <laughs> yeah the, the ones the america's using in countries it doesn't like you know um, but yeah it was a you yeah, interesting little half hour that was yeah really enjoyed it and i mean click is the format of it i usually like anyway but when they sort of focus on one thing like this i mean i think they were at, at some sort of show you know in i think it was belgium or somewhere in europe you know, where where they could sort of fly these around, film from them, yeah, and they were showing the sort of footage that people are getting from these drones as well. Apparently, it's been used in Game of Thrones and things like that. Yeah, you know, for some of their you know land sweeping landscape.
0: Yeah, I think you can you can get pretty good, um pretty yeah, good yeah. footage out of them. I think if they're, yeah, if and they're then, stable, I think.
2: Yeah, and then they were showing you know how it's stable. You know how they make it stable. Various, you know, talk to a few inventors who come up with different ideas for them, yeah Yeah, really good little idea Um, and then another thing on BBC uh, this time going to BBC Free but uh, I watched it on the iPlayer Um, it's another news sitcom that they've tried Siblings Um, quite similar to Uncle really in a lot of how they did it but obviously they've done it with a a brother and sister Um, the brother's out of work you know sort (laughs) of you know, a layabout type, and the sister's basically struggling desperately to keep her job. <laughs> and you, you sort of see the antics that come out of that. Um, you know, I, I thought, oh, I had a look at it. It's, 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 like I say, it's a lot like Uncle, you know, the sort of way they've done it. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. I think they can get away with more because they haven't got a young kid in there, possibly. Yeah.
3: You know, I don't bit, think bit. that held back Uncle very much.
2: No, not really. No. And <laughs> no, it I'll certainly had bits the of that I went. Huh? Yeah. Oh, well, it's certainly in the final episode, but but yeah, um, you know, I think they can, you know, I don't I don't know even know, it might be some of the same people involved because it had the sort of same feel about it, Yeah, you know, in many ways. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll carry on watching the episode. I think there's only one up at the moment to go on. So, so you know. Um, and then there's another... Uh, my last thing, it's a podcast I've been listening to for a while. It's uh, it's based around wrestling, so it's not necessarily for a wide market. <laughs> um, They're very they, they, bold they, at the shoulders, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless I'll get... Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, but yeah, it's called Mark for Excellence or MFX is what they tend to shorten it to. And they've, they've reached 100 episodes. Um, it's sort of very not safe for work. Um, but It's more of a comic take on sort of, you know, they go and watch, you know, shows or look at wrestling news. You know, but they, you know, they sort of, it's two blokes having a chat about it. A Scottish man, you know, a sort of rich English guy, basically. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, you know it's, I've always found it entertaining they you know their humor they they don't hold back because it is them they they're not sort of you know involved with any network or anything you know that has rules um and then they bring in sort of little comedy characters as well um as part of the hundredth episode thing they had two skits involving those characters you know um yeah they. This is where they go off on tangents sometimes, where they just have a you know, one of them will put on a voice. It'll be an impression of some famous person, but you know, a sort of comedic take on it. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's you know, it's a good little listen. They have tried to do a spin-off where they talk about things other than wrestling, which is you know, uh, you know, they they're going to do more of that. Hopefully, well,
3: need, needlepoint just doesn't have the same sort of following,
2: does it? <laughs> but now i mean i mean there was one where they they there was a point where they were having a long chat at the beginning about anything non-wrestling and then they decided right we'll just put that in a separate <laughs> separate episode <laughs> you know, yeah i mean i mean there's one they're going to do about sort of you know reviewing the world cup you know <laughs> even though because they're both big football fans as well but yeah but yeah you know it's a yeah good little thing it's I I find it a great listen, but it's because it's, it's probably my kind of humour <laughs> that they have, you know. Yeah.
0: Great stuff, great stuff. Well, on my list, uh I managed to finally get to the end of Ian M. Banks' Accession. Uh, it's a very, very good story, but quite quite long reaching, complicated in parts, so a little little hard to follow sometimes, but it is it is extremely good um and uh, it's 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 a problem with reading the Ian Banks books because you you kind of think oh I wonder what he's going to come up with next but then you then you suddenly realize oh yes of course he passed away last year didn't he what a mm. what a shame um but uh I've moved on to the state of the art which is a a, a novella uh, which is a a series of short stories some of them are based on his on his culture um on his culture universe and some of them are some of them are just stand yeah, standalone little stories. And so far that's that's been fantastic. I've actually got on to the title story, which is the state of the art, um, on the um in, in the book. And that's that's it's very good. Mm. It's uh, the um the the reading on Audible is very good. Uh, Peter Kenny, who does the who 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 reads all of the Ian M. Banks books apart from one. Um, is he, he does a fantastic job, especially with the you know with the voices and everything else. Um, the other thing I've watched is James May's Cars of the People. The first episode was on last night on BBC. It was quite Top Gear in its in its execution. It was um, it was good. Well, considering it's about cars, it's you know, kind yeah. of hard to. <laughs> but it was a Top Gear. It was a Top Gear thing, though wasn't it? It's not. It wasn't mm. a a James May thing. I think if it had been a James yeah. May thing, it would have been. Slightly better, but um, but there we go. Uh, and last but not least, it's not actually on my list because I clean forgotten and I watched it. And that's no, um, that's no commentary on how good or bad it was, it was just a very forgettable film. I watched The Bourne Legacy, which is the one without Matt Damon in it, I think.
2: And uh, as, as if the other ones weren't you know, forgettable. Well, yeah.
0: I don't know. The Bourne Identity, the first one, I really enjoyed that because yeah. it was, I think, mostly because it was a little bit low rent.
2: Yeah, it was sort of Bond, but
0: yeah, yeah, and it was well, yeah. and it was good. But I think, all I mean the, the 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 general story was was good. I had a good time watching it. it Problem is, the th- next day I'd forgotten I'd watched it.
1: Yeah. It was one of those sort of things. The uh, oh, um, but this this super soldier program's gone wrong. Uh, oh, Kill well, everyone well, to do
0: with it. Quick,
1: you know, we'll, we'll have to shut down the Super Soldier program. I'm thinking, uh, okay, uh, but what about the other? But this other Super Soldier program is also going on at the same time. Oh well, um, we need to get rid of that one. But one of them's escaped. Uh, quick, send the other Super Soldier after them. Okay, how many Super Soldier programs do you have?
0: Yeah, I think it's just a. It it seems to be just a a good excuse for some really nasty fight scenes. Yeah, I mean they they really do they really do film them in such a way that they are quite. Yeah. That I started getting my, I started having to sort of blink my eyes for long periods of time yeah. because the camera moves around so much, <laughs> and it was getting a bit painful. But it was, it was a good film. I just completely forgotten that I'd watched it, and I can't even remember what I was just talking about. So we shall move on to Bryn. What have you been What's yeah, on your list, um, sir? Right. So
1: uh, I've been on holiday the last week, so I've not really been. Following sort of this case of sort of wandering around the US, going oh look, it's a it's an old building. How long's that been there? Fifty years. <laughs> I know jokes older than that building. Um, but it's in the meantime, I've been listening to a podcast called the Thrilling Adventure Hour podcast. So Strapline is New Time Podcast in the style of old time radio. So they do um, radio serials, sort of like the sort of nineteen thirties 1920s, 1930s radio serials, where they would have a sort of recurring set, of, recurring set of characters and different situations, and you've got uh, one of the uh, main ones is Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars, which is a a western set in space, and you've got. Well, yeah, that's it. Uh, Nathan Fillion actually appears as a recurring character. Really, fantastic. Yes. Um,
3: All you'd need it, is a holodeck, and you've got a full episode there, haven't you? Yeah,
1: and you've got uh, things like so. You've got and uh, you've got various people turning up. So you've got various famous actors. I think Clark Gregg. You've got most of the cast of um, shows like um, uh, oh, how Criminal Minds have turned up. You've had. Um, um, oh, the chap who played ben, uh, the voice of Bender
0: uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah he's yeah, been on
1: Will Wheaton at all well, yeah I think so yeah Will Wheaton's been on uh, um, Will Wheaton's uh, on most things we've had him on here the, um, <laughs>
3: um, we keep turning him down he just won't leave us alone Chris
1: Chris Hardwick and, and various other, the, the, all these people sort of appeared on, on it at various points as different characters the um, and it's it could have that plays to the whole sort of uh, space, you know, uh, space tropes. The um, western tropes. You've got things like the the wise cracking marshal. You've got the, his his um, sidekick, who's from a, a, the alien tribe that lives on Mars, who's a sort of cross between Mr. Data and uh, and Tonto. Um, you've got. Um, you know, it's this sort of uh, love interest. You've got the sort of barkeeper who who doesn't want any trouble in his place. He keeps saying uh, uh, repeatedly, "Goes ah, no, I don't want any trouble in my place." But he goes, "Yeah, we know." You keep telling us because, "Yeah, okay, but I don't want any trouble," kind of thing. the The other recurring segment they have is uh, "Beyond Belief," which is two completely plastered, very mediums who go around uh, just getting very drunk and. Uh, ghosts and various other apparitions keep appearing and bothering them, stopping them from being able to drink. And they sort of just keep, they're going, oh, let's go away. Look, we're drinking. Just leave us alone. Which, which just want wanted, wanted to, to get on a drink and get drunk. And they give the, but, but you know, you're the only ones who can help. I was like, but just stop bothering us. And, and it's all done... Uh, in that in that sort of uh, radio serial style so you get the old fluffed line and everybody's sort of taking the piss out of each other it's all very it's all very it's all good fun um, the other thing I've been doing is reading so uh, there's a couple of very cool interesting new TV series coming up one of the ones I'm quite interested in is the Constantine and give it I know all Almost everything I know about it so far is either taken from Wikipedia or the outrage that happened as a result of the film that's featured Keanu Reeves. So I kind of felt like if I was going to watch it, I should probably start looking at some of the reference material. So I went back and got a, hold a copy of Hellblazer Volume 1, which is where the uh, the, collection, the collection of the first stories involving John Constantine so, you get some of the sort of sense of how the character's going to be played It's sort of this sort of cocky Brit who's going around dabbling with dabbling with the occult and and saving souls sort of thing so it's all and, and it's kind of fun to see it uh, goes for a reader because it's sort of a much older sort of set of comics that I've been reading in the past, and it's kind of nice to see that certainly from what has been the trailers that the new TV series does at least look fairly faithful to the, to the materials that have been published so far, you know, whereas Keanu, the Keanu Reeves story, they sort of went, uh, oh, bugger the reference material. We'll just, we'll just get the, uh, we'll just, we'll just get Keanu Reeves and he can do, he can uh, be Keanu, Keanu, <laughs> yeah, Keanu Reeves again and just, and just sort of be the one. I was like, yeah, we well, just, no, just this, this, this whole, If you're going to make a film based on loosely based on a comic book, at at least pay some attention to what happened in the comic books. Mm. So yeah, so I've been sort of uh, looking up the reference materials to try and uh, get better understanding of the of the of the of the show.
0: Good, good. Hmm. Thank you very much, sir. Hmm? Alex, what is on? I'm I'm particularly looking forward to the first entry on your list.
3: What a cool film,
0: eh? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: I don't know what day it was Saturday night almost sounded sincere. I turned on the telly and I went right I'm going to pick a movie channel I'm going to watch whatever the next film that starts is and it turned out to be a good day to die hard
1: And, and, and was it a good day to die hard
3: you know what my expectations of a film such as this are so low (laughs) that when I watched it, I thought, yeah, that was no worse than I expected. (laughs) And I thought, you know what, there's an hour and a half of my life that, you know, I didn't have to think very hard. And there was lots of people shooting at other people and somehow missing them, which is, you know, it's sort of these sort of films, isn't it? And then I looked at the ratings that other people gave it, and I was like, you know, it wasn't as bad as that, was it? Then I thought, you know what? Other people might actually expect to get some something out of these sort of films. And then my thoughts were, huh, tough. You know, if, if if you actually care about a Bruce Willis diehard film and and get upset when it's not, I'm not even sure if any of them are good. I think I saw the first one and. It doesn't mean the be
0: uh, Shakespearean-like quality of the rest uh, no. of the, rest no.
3: of the And I just thought, well, it's, it's what it is. You know, it, it's like a, um, I mean, I'm sure it's not cheap to make, but to me it's like a cheap TV cop drama that sometimes the episodes have got something in them and sometimes they haven't. But, you know, so what? It's not there to change the world. It's there to, you know... Give you an hour and a half of entertainment, and it did that, and i it was un, it was an only oh, sorry it was only when I looked at what other people thought about it. I just thought no nah, that's unfair you've just got some really strange ideas of what you want yeah. out of life because it's there was people shooting at people, there was people shooting back at them, and they seemed to be completely indestructible and isn't that what those films are about
2: and and there were no klingons given the title. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah good
0: yes we got it
3: <laughs> I haven't got a clue, and it really doesn't matter
0: <laughs> once you once you get into d s nine alex you'll you'll see
3: well, you know maybe when I in finished the next couple of years of what I'm catching up on anyway, I didn't think it was that bad, so uh no, if you've got a couple of hours and you just don't want to think what a good day to die hard, it's not going to change your life. And if it it bothers you that it's not that good, I think you should really look at yourself and not worry too much about the film. (coughs) Right. Um, After that, I don't know why. why. I can't even remember what I watched. That must have been on DVD. Uh, It was a Saturday night, and it was just like, right, I've gone from that. I'm going to go to the DVD, DVD shelf and do the not looking, wave your hand, and grab the first one that comes out, and you have to watch it, even if it's one of your wife's DVDs. That's the rule. And thankfully, it was Total Recall. And um, I haven't seen that for ages. And you know what? Wasn't Sharon Stone a babe? I mean, I know that's not what you meant to come away with for that film. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like watching it, me, she was a... Mm. Anyway, <laughs> it's not a bad film, is it? It was a bit of... It was really funny because you get used to modern sci-fi effects and all the rest of it. Mm. And then you see, oh, I don't know the character's name, Quaid or something, I can't yeah, remember. Just
1: Doug, back, yeah. Douglas and then, Quaid.
3: Yeah, no, who's the one?
1: Oh, Cohagen.
3: Kohagen, and you've got the thing, the little oh, baby-looking thing Quaca sticking or. out his chest or whatever.
2: Yeah.
3: And then they sort of close up on it, and you go, I'm sorry, I, I could have done better yeah. with paper mache back. It was like, it gave me a lot of pleasure. It was so bad <laughs> in that respect. But there was other bits where they really must have spent, because, you know, computer power in that uh, in those days. Yeah. The, well, the money they must have spent on some of the effects on that was incredible. Well, it, and it, then you it was more other physical bits and effects,
2: go, though, wasn't it, as well? There were back then, Sorry? Yeah. yeah.
3: Sorry, I didn't hear what you said, Tone.
2: It, it was more physical effects and relying on CGI too much. yeah. But it was just like, and then you get
3: to other bits and you go, sorry, you've just gone down to the Grand Canyon and you've coloured it red, haven't you? Well,
2: the,
3: the and thing, that's thing
1: it. about the film was, I think it was surprising that the remake actually made the original look, like it made an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie seem deeply philosophical. <laughs> As it, it's it's a bizarre situation where that, that kind of thing can happen. You know, I was thinking he yeah. gets, gets the end you don't know was he actually was he actually all a dream uh, all along and that was left a, an open question and uh, whereas like in the in the uh, in the remake case a case of, no no he was it no, was a dream he was all completely real everything's mm-hmm. and he's now back to his back to the life he's always meant to have I think he well they kind of you've kind of lost something, there. Um, you know, <laughs> Arnie actually managed, Arnie managed to have a deeply philosophical bit in his movie. So what? Yeah. that? That doesn't make any
2: sense. So even the original story finished it off in the sort of way the first film did. You know, mm. yeah,
3: yeah. Well, I enjoyed it.
2: Mm. No, it was, yeah, I I mean, especially I, I, the I
3: Sharon Stone part.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, it, but it, it's weird. It, it could have been a bit darker. Mm. You know, in the in the, in the day. Back then, I suppose when it was a Schwarzenegger film, they they were they knew their audience and they knew that they couldn't go too sort of weird and wonderful with it. Or maybe that's a modern thing, going deep and dark and whatever. But you should you know there was there wasn't so much sort of there was a lot of greys in there. There wasn't blacks and whites. And I'd like it to have been a bit harder and a bit because it the story is a clever story. And there's a clever story of the was he wasn't he whatever, and it was washed over because it was Schwarzenegger. But I can see, I can see there being a possibility of doing something quite clever with it. But you know, when it was made, when was it? Nineteen ninety. I mean, nineteen ninety. I mean, to me, it sounds feels like yesterday. Then I think that's twenty four years ago.
0: Mm.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about as old as you like are. So you know, uh, (laughs) I was six. Yeah, and. I was watching it in the cinema, so shut up. Right. <laughs> and I wasn't even underage. Tone's got to go to work. He's got. Okay, cheers, Tone. Right. Uh, so that was good. Um, then I, I now I'm on to my antidotes. <laughs> my antidotes to the other film. I I haven't watched it for ages, and I've owned them for ages, and I have watched them all, but only all the way through once. So, so I've started watching Lovejoy again. And the reason being is I, I, I was sitting there, I'd finished editing. Oh, that's not true, I hadn't finished editing. I'd had enough of editing. So <laughs> you I never finish down, editing, Alex, you just yeah. had enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I sat down and I flicked on the telly and I did the random number, because I never know what the numbers are on the Virgin box. And Lovejoy was on. I went, All right, so I watched half of the episode of Lovejoy, as in the second half, because I missed the beginning. And then it occurred to me I could just walk over to the shelf and watch the first half of that on the DVD. And I thought, now, hold on a minute, you know, let's intersperse this because I've done my skate. So, you know, I've got to have the, I have this thing going. I normally have three or four things going at a time. And when I sort of sit down to watch something or one of them, my mood, it, it dictates which one of the four things I've got on the go I carry on with. And so my sort of slightly, you know, wistful thinking, oh, isn't the world quite a pretty... And, of course, this is where my parents live, where Lovejoy is anyway. I mean, half the scenes are filmed, and you can see their... Um, well, you, you can see the village green that they live on in the background, cause, and you're like, oh, okay, I watch that. And, um, yeah, I'd forgotten how much I liked it. I, I, and I'd forgotten how big an actor Ian McShane was back then hmm. he was well, he was in a lot of a stuff star. He?
0: He, was, he was a star yeah
3: and um, you know he's got one of them voices and you still hear his voice in things Yeah. he doesn't yeah. do I suppose
0: oh, it's funny Lovejoy holds a, a special place in my um, in my heart I think because it was it was always something that was on it was on, on a Sunday night around what was it 7 7.30 8 o'clock something like that
2: yeah, back on, then,
0: yeah and I remember just being able to watch that and then I had to go to bed yeah. I always really enjoyed it it was a good good series uh, yeah the whole thing is it's and the thing is it's got it's it's
3: weird isn't it because it's almost um, it's got sort of overtones of cop drama in it because he's always <laughs> yes, wanted himself does, in actually, yeah. you know oh dear well he doesn't want the police to get involved but he'll be the one that Breaks into the house to break, steal back what has been stolen, and la la la. It's just very strange, but it's. A, I, I just like it, and I'm glad I started again. I haven't watched it for a good few years, so it's like I get halfway through the story, then I remember it, and I sort of vaguely remember the stories, but I don't remember them well enough. So it's really nice. So I'm enjoying that again. And anyone that hasn't seen Lovejoy, um, I think it would translate brilliantly over in America. So. You know, for our millions of American viewers and listeners, Barbara. No, I mean, it's a really, really nice series, and anyone that doesn't like it, it's just a Neanderthal.
0: So, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) That's That's a sweeping statement, but I I agree with the sentiment.
3: (laughs) Okay, now, finally, and I say finally because I'm like, oh, finally, it's here. Those that have listened to me wittering on for the last few years will know that... The first series of The Village was what I believed to be the best costume dra- drama um, any British TV company had made for 20 years. It was an extraordinary piece. It, for some reason, it wasn't really pushed. I, I don't know why, but I suppose it was... What, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think one of the reasons it was... The way it was. They could make something honest and real and gritty and horrible and also nice and all those sort of things because they weren't doing the Downton Abbey, which, again, is nice, but they're playing to an audience, Downton Abbey. This is a story, and they are writing the story. They are acting a story, and you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it, but this is this is what they're giving you. It's almost like going to a theatre to watch something that you've heard reviews of but you're not quite sure and you're actually going to watch, um, you know, actors act, writers write, directors direct, you know, producers produce, and you're actually going to watch it to see what they're giving you rather than anything else. And on this first episode, uh, it, was, it was fantastic, absolutely brilliant. Um, there was a bit, it was, I had, because there was a big gap, it was like over a year between this and the last series, And I'd wanted it to come back so much that I was watching it and watching it. And I just, I don't know, I was already sort of emotionally involved. And there was just one bit towards the end. And I was just saying that. And it just brought back almost like, it was really weird. It was almost like it had happened in my life. And it was a moment, okay, in the first series, a really, really big, sad event happens. And it was handled so beautifully and so brilliantly very poignant for this time as well, with the anniversary of the First World War. And they sort of refer to it because they've got on with their life. So this is sort of ten years later and what have you. And um it just got referred to and it got referred to in a way. I tell you, I was sitting there and I didn't know it. And next thing I know there's tears running down my eyes and I was like, Wow, I'm glad I'm on my own. I didn't know it was that emotional. That because it was so well played in the first series it was just sitting there for over a year and when they did what they did and they referred to it in the way they referred to it that was it I was I was blubbing for about 30 seconds
0: I was like just 30 seconds that's a manly blub oh
3: no they weren't trying to no they weren't trying to kick you in the teeth they were just it's so real and it's so gritty and I tell you what's really weird Maxine Peake as an actress there was some there was a point and it's such a it can be such a dour and miserable series right but it's supposed to be and it was a point where she smiled and I don't know why. it might be because of the rarity or whatever it was and my heart went wow and I was just the joy of seeing that character smile was oh it was absolutely it was like I'm honestly I had the biggest beaming smile on my face in that episode because of the one smile from a character and then I had tears rolling down my face and I was left there and I went oh exhausted that was brilliant you know and I don't I'm sort of glad it's not that big because I sort of I'm I feel a bit special for being lucky enough to have got it anyway so the village it's back it's back as strong I mean the first episode it was just it was all I don't know how you can carry on from where you left off when you've had a 10 year gap in the time but they did and it worked I was really pleased and I will, you don't expect anything good ever to happen to these people in the village and in the sort of the most minor good bit the most basically it's not so much things that are good that happen to them but when things aren't as bad as they could be you're so happy for them and it's, it's wonderful and it's, it's real it's a real it's a reality of what it was like in those days for a lot of people and it just it hurts at the right it hurts at the right amount, it makes you smile the right amount, it makes you cry the right amount. And you you get these minute moments of pleasure that just fill you up with joy and it makes you realise how these people could survive that life because of it was so crap. That the minor victories, the minor pleasures, the minor just not having your face trodden on all the time was so good that it enabled you to carry on. So anyway, I absolutely, completely, and utterly recommend watching the village. And if you can watch season one, it will make more sense. But I don't think you need to. It's, uh, you've convinced
0: to... you've convinced me to seek out season one now. Mm. No, it's fantastic.
3: Anyway, that's what I've been doing. So I've gone from the ridiculous to the sublime. To the sublime. There
0: you go. And who can ask more than that of a panelist? Thank you very much, sir. Right. That, as they say, is that. That is a show. We have come to the end of this wonderful conversation that we've all been having. It only remains for me to ask you, gentlemen, where we can find you. Bryn, where are you? What is your doing? What have you? What, what, what do you get up to? Where is it?
1: So, um, it's mostly Twitter. It says at Bryns S, B-R-Y-N-S. There's also a blog, which I sporadically maintain, at... Um, uh, randomlyevil.org.uk dot org uk. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it.
0: Excellent. Thank you for coming on, sir. We shall have you Thank back you if you it. if you are so inclined. Oh, I, I, I yes.
1: I, I can't promise to be this jet lagged next time. Um, so, you can't anyway.
3: promise to not still have enjoyed those Star Trek movies. <laughs>
1: I'll, 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 i may. Uh, Maybe when I'm slightly more with it, I'll, I'll reconsider them in another light and the mm. painting them. Mm
0: yes <laughs> yes indeed right well as he quickly checks his uh that special that special name that he needs to read out in just a moment alex where can we find you sir
3: you can get me a Tone X 720 no no, no, no you no. can't that's no, the other can't. fella of course, of course he can't yeah uh you can get me very british view.
0: Excellent.
2: excellent that's it really
0: It is. it's brilliant <laughs> and finally tone where can we find you sir
2: um, on the Twitter, Tone7X20, and that's the gateway to everything else. Excellent. Thank you and very much. Sake. I actually remembered it there without you,
0: pausing. There you go. There you go. He's getting better. And you can find me on Twitter, at SFDrummer. That's all we have for this show. If you want to get in touch, drop us a line at airwavesshow at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a comment at the-airwaves.com. We will actually be back in about... Two weeks, I think it is, because next week um, we've got. Well, I'm going on holiday next week. Week after that, it is a bank holiday Monday. But we we, we will return. Are we still going to be in August? No, um, I have no idea. No, no, we won't be still in August. We'll return in September. We're sort of we're, we're taking a couple of. weeks. But
3: there up. may be an offering in
0: there, between. There may be an <laughs> offering in between. I have been. I have what? been um, something that has been. Um, The the promise of of something a little extra to appear in the stream has been been waved in front of me. We will see. (laughs) But until the next time we all gather around this little podcast of ours again, take care, everybody. Good night. Good night. Bye. Alex, can you can you turn yourself up just a little bit?
3: I can. I'm going to turn myself up quite a lot. Alex,
0: ah, that is that is beautiful. So now you're not you're not <sighs> okay. getting, you're not getting ducked anymore. Fantastic, excellent. Right, let's do that entire segment again. Everyone remember what they're doing? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs>